Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Fatma Sayed, and this is The Backbench, a podcast about Canadian politics. At this time of global economic and political volatility, undermining Canada's fundamental institutions, very much including the Bank of Canada, is highly irresponsible, not to mention economically illiterate. The reason we have inflation today is not because I'm criticizing the bankers and politicians who caused it, It's because they've created the cash that is driving up the cost of living. What we are calling for is that when families are hurting, the solution to this inflation cannot be a solution that puts more burden on families. And given that people are struggling, the government has to act. There's some tension brewing between our fellow neighborhood banks and the Canadian government. And as Parliament's summer vacation days are nearing an end, the state of the economy seems to be going from bad to dumpster fire. And yet, for some reason, politicians are struggling to talk about it constructively or offer solutions that could actually help us. Instead, they have turned the economy into a game of political football. But the prime minister says he doesn't think much about monetary policy. Clearly. Uh, that's no surprise. After all, it's just inflation. <laughs> seen from the Conservatives telling Canadians that the f- problems they're facing with increased affordability, uh, increased prices on everything, difficulty b- buying gas, difficulty buying computer, they've just shrugged and said, oh, it's just inflation. Well, it's not just inflation, Mr. Speaker. Besides the fact that Canadians need financial relief in these weird times rife with supply chain issues, a war, a food crisis and more, we also have a conservative leadership candidate threatening to fire the governor of the Bank of Canada, an institution whose role is so important in these inflationary times, but little understood. Last week, Finance Minister Chrystia Freeland shared the government's plan to help tackle inflation. She released a $8.9 billion plan for inflation that was basically repeated promises from the last Liberal budget. Investments in immigration, childcare, and housing. There were no short-term solutions for Canadians to make life affordable right now, even though that's the phrase Freeland repeatedly used throughout her speech. But none of these measures were new spending. They were increases, though. So big, in fact, that economists at Scotiabank warned just yesterday that high levels of federal spending will hurt the fight against inflation. 
Look, we've all been staring and gasping at the gas price ticker. Our grocery bills are exorbitant. Inflation is at a 31-year high of 6.8%. And now Bank of Canada is set to increase interest rates. This is all everyone can talk about right now, and we all have the same questions. What the F is going on in our economy? How do we navigate these complicated, uncharted financial times? And how do we not just panic? Oh, and can or will Bank of Canada save us from our impending doom? To make sense of all this, I called Stephen Gordon. Let's get into it. Hi, Stephen. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me. It's not often anyone wants to talk about monetary policy. I'm very excited. I don't understand what's going on at all. And it's just making headlines in a way that I've never seen before. So before we dig into all of that, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do. My name is Stephen Gordon. I'm an economics professor at uh, Université Laval. I got here 30 years ago with my Ontario high school French and things worked out. A few years ago, I decided that I wanted to engage more in, in, in the public because uh, I think economics is important and it's not particularly well understood all the time. We love that. Economics was my favorite subject in high school. Oh, wow. That, that, that not, almost nobody says that. My economics teacher was my favorite teacher in high school. So you think that I would understand what's going on, but I really, really don't. It is complicated. That's for sure. <laughs> Let's start there. I don't think this country has ever paid as much attention to the Bank of Canada as we have lately. It's just constantly in the headlines. It's constantly trending on Twitter. The politicians are talking about it all the time. It feels like this is an economist's moment. <laughs> I don't know if it's the first because um, I'm old enough to remember. We, this is not the first first time we've had uh, high inflation. Uh, when I first got into economics, there was a period of high inflation and a lot of people were really interested in this. And there's a lot of memory going on. Certainly the uh, the people who are at the top of the Bank of Canada right now, they actually have memories of this. They, this, is, this is a problem they've been working on when they were students. So uh, this is not really new. It's new to you, but uh, it's <laughs> we've seen inflation before. And this is what it looks like. Let's break it down then. What does the Bank of Canada do? Like, what is this institution and, and what's their role in fighting inflation? Well, the Bank of Canada is special in the sense that it can create and destroy money. It controls uh, money. It can create if it wants to buy something. It can just create a piece of paper or something in ele the electronic equivalent, and it doesn't have to have money in the bank. It just creates it. It says, you know, I'm the Bank of Canada. Here's a piece of paper saying this is from the Bank of Canada, and people accept it. You know, it's a very powerful instrument. <laughs> and um, at some point, that money gets spent, and if there's lots of money floating around, uh, more money chasing this, the same amount of goods. Prices go up. The Bank of Canada ultimately has the responsibility and the power to control inflation. So, Stephen, are there any guardrails in place for the Bank of Canada when it comes to the decisions they make every day? Or can they basically do whatever they want? The Minister of Finance is ultimately responsible. If the Minister does not like what's happening, he can order the Bank of Canada governor to do something. The, the mandate is there. But as long as um, things don't go horribly wrong, the bank is left alone. And it's generally understood this, this would be a very big deal. It would be very destabilizing. So I understand Bank of Canada has a mandate to keep inflation at or near 2% a year. Right. Can you tell us a little bit about why 2%? Like, where did this number come from and, and what's the logic behind this? 
there's something we've sort of learned about how the consumer price index works. The way the consumer price index works is like they have like a basket of goods. Uh, they, they do a survey of consumers and households and say, how much are you spending on certain things? And they use that. And that's the basket. The thing is, the basket evolves over time. We know that um, these indexes systematically overestimate inflation. Is it just so that, you know, we're factoring in the reality that things will become a little more expensive and the Bank of Canada can hopefully stabilize that and 2% is the minimum? Well, it's more it's more that uh, the what we spend things on changes. That, you know, that measure, that index is always going to mismeasure real cost of living changes. That 2% is, is how we deal with the mismeasurement. It's instead of zero, it's two. So for 30 years, we were doing really well, basically my entire lifetime. And then COVID happened. Tell us about the sort of causes of high inflation we're seeing right now. The first thing that when COVID first hit, the first danger then, it was Stephen Paulus, uh, the governor, governor of the Bank of Canada at the time, warned, we were really worried about deflation. This is like a death spiral. Uh, where incomes and prices just fall. You know, people think that, you know, maybe you might think that, Falling prices would be great. No, the reason why prices are falling is because nobody has income and they can't buy anything. And so prices have to keep falling to, uh, to attract customers. Deflation only occurs during severe economic contractions. And that was what we first saw the first few months because the, the COVID was a huge hit. Um, you know, the, I, I like to compare it against the Great Depression. The Great Depression, a little less than 10% of employment fell, spread over four years. In COVID, a little over 15% fell in the space of about two months. This is a very, very big deal. And uh, the government was not prepared for it. Uh, they didn't have the infrastructure. Was Bank of Canada prepared for it? Well, nobody was. I mean, the Bank of Canada has a really easy job. It buys bonds and sells bonds. They can do that anytime. What the government needed to do was figure out a way of sending out checks to people who needed it. And like, you know, the, the CERB and all those things, you, know, you may recall, there was just basically, you know, you just click on a link and you get free money, right? You know, there, there is that. That was also going to be massively expensive. The government is just like you and me, okay? It has to borrow money and get, gets money and it, it, it owns the Bank of Canada, but it isn't the Bank of Canada. So the government had to borrow money and they borrowed it on the open market from you know, the, basically the big chartered banks. And if the Bank of Canada had done nothing, interest rates would have spiked because there's all this borrowing, huge demand for borrowing, increasing the demand increases the price. That would have meant the interest rates would go up. So what the Bank of Canada did was buy some of those bonds from the chartered banks. It turned out, in hindsight, that all those measures were probably too generous. Okay, the idea at the time was we just got to maintain people's disposable incomes. Turns out that disposable income actually increased during COVID. Those payments more than offset the uh, the employment losses. I was wondering if you could just quickly explain to our listeners what a bond is and how it works when, you know, the Bank of Canada would buy a bond. Yeah, bonds are basically IOUs. And it basically is a promise to pay whoever is holding on to it a certain amount of money at a certain day. You're selling this promise to pay in the future. And in return, somebody gets to give you money. And so that's how the government borrows. The government of Canada issues a bond and the bond says, whoever is holding this, the government of Canada will give $10 million to whoever's holding this on this date, three years from now, or two years from now, or one month from now, depending, like there, there's all kinds of them. Does that mean that all the bonds that we bought during COVID to increase the money supply to give to people 
to... Yes, thank you. Does that mean we have to return them at some point? Is that a future they, they, problem? That, that debt is, yeah, they, that, that's not free money. Yeah, the, the government has to pay it off. Yes, that is not a big problem, really. You know, we're not really worried about a debt crisis. That's not really the issue because it, it really was a one-time hit, a very big, bad one-time hit, but it was just a one-time hit. It's not a recurring uh, thing. So the debt load jumped up, but it's going to come back down I mean, you hinted at this in, in your response a little bit, right? Like, there are a lot of fingers being pointed at uh, the Bank of Canada for the inflation that we're seeing right now, which is at 6.8%. But I wonder, is the real villain then income response programs for, for the situation we're in? Yes, in, in perfect hindsight. If we knew exactly how much people needed, nobody knew. People were scrambling. Uh, people were working, you know, 23-hour days in Ottawa trying to figure out how to get money out. So, you know, the actual numbers that they chose, you know, $500 a month or a week. Well, it sounds right. Let's do it. There's another reason why the Bank of Canada, you know, made a mistake basically farther on. But in the summer of 2020, no mistakes were made as far as I'm concerned. It turns out that the programs were probably more generous than they should have been or had to be, but nobody knew that at the time. I mean, one thing we didn't mention is um, all the uh, like shortages, supply chain disruptions, all kinds of things were all of a sudden in short supply. And when things are in short supply, you know, prices go up too. So this is something that we haven't really seen for a long time. And we're still seeing those shortages. Oh, yeah. I guess my question is, did the Bank of Canada and the government of Canada operate in a similar manner to what other, you know, country banks and governments were doing to address these inflationary pressures? Yes, certainly the uh, the story in the United States basically looks the same. They had their emergency uh, you know, income support measures. We had ours. The Federal Reserve did the same thing with uh, buying the bonds from the private sector. They, both the Federal Reserve came back to Canada. We all knew that if the government basically sold their bonds to the Bank of Canada, Bank of Canada gives money to the government. The government was giving it to people to spend. That would have definitely created massive inflation right away. Okay, the reason we didn't see that was because that's not what happened. Bank of Canada stayed out of that first step. Going, let's say, let's, you know, this is 2020 now, like moving along. At first, everything, the story was supply chain disruptions. Certain, you know, some things were, there were shortages. And the Bank of Canada generally doesn't do anything about that because it takes a while before it has an effect on anything. And they decided you know, they did not to do anything at the time because they figured, you know, eventually all those containers piled up at the Port of Los Angeles will get on trucks and be moved around eventually. So there's no point in, you know, trying to increase interest rates and then, oh, my God, we overdid it. I have to go back again. They figured that a lot of this was just temporary supply chain disruptions. Just let it happen. And then it'll go away by itself. But big surprise, it wasn't. And uh, yeah, this is the thing. They didn't recognize, they missed the pent-up demand. You know, savings jumped up because people were, people were still getting income but couldn't spend it on anything. You know, couldn't go to restaurants, couldn't travel. They didn't think so much of it would actually be spent. They thought that people would take that, you know, windfall and basically save it. Um, you know, just set it aside, pay down the credit cards. Let me know, some people did that. But this uh, COVID was not the same thing as, you know, winning $5,000 in a lottery. You know, you, people generally, people get $5,000 in a lottery, they don't spend it all. But COVID, it's like, all of a sudden, you know, we've been suffering for 18 months of uh, deprivation. It's, you know, we had the money, we're spending it. Going into the fall of 2021, 
Um, it became clear, at least to me, uh, to, to some, that this demand side issue was uh, started to become an issue. Like it, it wasn't just supply disruptions. It was people had money and were spending it. So why did the Bank of Canada miss it? If one effect has, has two potential causes, it's really hard to tell you which one it was. Because they thought it was the supply chain problems. Another explanation is the demand side. They both basically generate inflation. We saw inflation. They just misjudged what it was. And to be fair, everybody else, you know, certainly the Federal Reserve in the United States, the advice they were getting from places like the, uh, the C.D. Howe Institute Monetary Policy Council was also saying, you know, no, no, don't react. You know, yeah, it was, an, it, was, it was a mistake, but it was certainly an honest mistake and a mistake that lots of people were making in real time at the time. You know, the hindsight is always twenty twenty. I know you're suggesting there was human error. It was an unprecedented, you know, situation that no one had ever experienced before in this kind of way. So is this just like a series of events that we were bound to experience or or is Bank of Canada to blame for it? Well, it, it, they had very bad luck as well, because right around the time that they finally realized that we have to do something or they, you know, talking about February, March, well, Russia invaded Ukraine. Uh, and that provoked even more shortages of, well, of uh, oil. And uh, we shouldn't first probably remember that we're a rich, fat country. Uh, we can take that hit. Um, they, the, the people who are really, really suffering would be like you know, sub-Saharan Africa. They, they, these people, there's going to be a lot of serious misery uh, associated with this. Like, for us, it's just prices are high. We can get, you know, um, this, is, this is going to be a very bad thing. And, you know, that's bad luck for the Bank of Canada. You know, yet, yet one more thing that, you know, some random shock that increases inflation, another one piled on top of, you know, just all these things from COVID, you know, the, all these various travel restrictions that screwing up uh, supply chains. And, you know, that missed call about what was going on uh, with consumer demand. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I want to talk about Christia Freeland's plan. She announced, or I guess re-announced, $8.9 billion in financial support to help Canadians with inflation right now. Her words. Do you think it's constructive to address unaffordability right now? Will it provide any short-term relief? I'm not sure she's answering the right questions. That money already had been announced. It's being rolled out now. So this is going to be actually increasing demand now. 
he does make some point about, you know, some things are expanding supply because this is another thing too. If you want to reduce prices, increase supply. There are some things that he mentions that, you know, can be interpreted as increasing supply. I'm worried about spending <laughs> and expanding itself. This doesn't really seem to get at that. So do you think her plan was the wrong call? I think it was. Yes, I think. Well, in some sense, there's no new call. I think the call, the wrong call was made before. The right call would have been to say, well, you know what? Maybe we don't really need extra spending right now. Basically, it makes the Bank of Canada's job tougher. If they want to help people with you know, low incomes, and like, well, you can tax the rich or something. Do something so the net effect is zero. You know, withdraw spending somewhere else or increase taxes somewhere else. You, know, you can cut other spending. They didn't do that. They're not, they're not measuring anything here about you know, fiscal restraint. This government is not known for actually following through on its promises for spending. So who knows what they're going to do next year. You know, you've described sort of the mishaps and misjudgments that happened, you know, at the moment right now in Canadian politics, the Bank of Canada kind of feels like a political playing field. And it seems to just be getting more and more politicized. I'm thinking of a campaign policy announcement last month where conservative leadership candidate Pierre Polyev stood in front of the Bank of Canada's headquarters and said that he would increase parliamentary oversight of the bank and that he would fire the governor, Tim Macklem. And since then, you know, those comments have come under fire. His critics have warned that threats to the Bank of Canada undermine trust in the institution and by extension, the economy. Does this politicization of the Bank of Canada worry you at all? Very much. One thing we have learned is that politicians cannot be trusted with monetary policy because sometimes you'll have to do things like raise interest rates. That's never popular. And governments have many, you know, elected governments have many competing interests and monetary policy is only one of them. And there's a mountain of evidence to show that if monetary policy is run by politicians, inflation is generally higher because politicians will generally prefer not to act, not to increase the interest rate because we can't increase interest rates now. There's a by-election next week. Everything about monetary policy is about credibility, beliefs. Because to a very big extent, inflation is a self-fulfilling prophecy. So everything depends on the Bank of Canada being credible. Uh, credibility matters. Credibility is almost all that matters. And by bringing it into the political realm, all that 30 years of credibility that the Bank of Canada had built up is going to be dissipated. And that's not good for anyone. No, that's that's the one thing we learned. Like we had a we had a really terrible recession in the early 1980s, basically because uh, the Bank of Canada tried to reduce inflation and nobody believed it. People people thought, no, nah, no, nah, they they they've always backed off before. And then they didn't back off. This is also going on in the States as well, the Volcker dis disinflation. I was in university at the time. That's why I went to grad school. It was just really, really bad. We don't want to go back to there. Like, this is what I'm thinking. I'm just, this is the kind of thing that I don't, I'm really worried about is we're going to go back to a situation where you know no one's going to believe anything that Bank of Canada does because it's being run by a politician. And that politician, who knows what he's going to say. You know, I, I, I have no problem with you know, I mean, people having... like broad policy goals being generated by politicians. Yeah, like that's, you know, you, you might want to say that, you know, I'm the one who decides where to go, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm the one who's best qualified to, you know, open the hood and then, you know, adjust things. And, you know, like, it's like, no, 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 you want to leave that to the technical person. You want to leave that to the Bank of Canada. <laughs> yes, that's, the, that's basically it. You want to, you know, if there's going to be a hard decision to make, you know, Okay, the bank has, uh, you know, that mandate, it has the power. And clearly the expertise. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes they make mistakes. We all do. But uh, 
Let's say one thing we we have learned is that uh, we, if you just leave it to politicians, politicians can, cannot credibly promise low inflation. It seems like a tenuous relationship on paper, at least, right? You said earlier that the government owns the Bank of Canada. So does the Bank of Canada have to consider politics or political pressures at all? That's what the whole idea with this mandate. The, the, the mandate is once every five years, because in some sense, in a democracy, you, you know, there has to be some kind of democratic oversight. What the, the government does is it gives that, that mandate. The government says, we want low inflation, we want 2%, do it. And once the mandate is handed out, the Bank of Canada has complete operational autonomy. It's not supposed to answer to anybody except the mandate. Pierre Fadiev can't just fire the government of the Bank of Canada. Uh, he has to be removed for cause, which means he has to be involved in some kind of horrible personal scandal or, you know, clearly incompetent. You know, he made a mistake. Lots of people were making the same mistake at the time. You know, no labor lawyer would ever say this is not, you know, like no one gets fired for cause for one mistake. So he, 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 can't, he can't do it. Once you start going down this lane, it gets really, really crazy, really quickly. And well, well, let me ask you then: like, there are a lot of people, a lot of followers of these politicians who are, you know, poking holes into the credibility of the Bank of Canada, who don't believe in the institution, who believe that the institution is, you know, working under secrecy and, you know, taking all of their money or driving up the prices of everything. So, how do we actually build up credibility and 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 trust in that institution specifically? It's certainly going to be hard for the next little while because all people are going to see is high inflation and increasing interest rates. Um, you know, in some sense, we have seen this before. It's not pleasant. Uh, there is a risk of of overshooting, um, increasing interest rates too high, choking off demand too quickly, and basically uh, turn, um, pushing in Canada into recession. This is a serious risk. Uh, another risk is they don't do it fast enough, and inflation gets even more out of control. You know, so in some sense, it's a coin. It's a coin toss, and the good outcome is the coin landing on its edge. So we're hoping for a coin that lands on the edge. Basically, it's a very. There is a good path. There is a good path, but it's very narrow. I mean, you're an economist. What's the probability uh, of? That? I mean, there's so many unknowns. That's the thing. So where do we go from here, Stephen? I mean, like the economy seems really bleak. Uh, you've you've Except debunked that, a lot. Well, like, unemployment is at a, you know is at like a 50, 60 year low. But we're not making as much money as we need to to deal with these high inflationary pressures, right? Income hasn't really increased. Yes, the uh, wages are not keeping up with inflation. That is definitely an issue. But at least people have jobs. Okay, <laughs> uh, that's a small silver lining. I'll take oh, it. Yeah. I'll take uh, it. <laughs> we'll take it. Yeah. How do you see the next three years unfolding financially and politically in that weird sort of chaotic times that we're in? Um, inflation is high. It's probably going to keep on going high because uh, the Bank of Canada has only barely started to uh, work to bring inflation down. Inflation in interest rates are still very, very low by historic standards. The bank has only started. It's going to keep on going for a while until it actually sees inflation coming down. The way inflation comes down is people have less money to buy, spend on other things. Like that's the way, you know, as interest rates go up and people who are renewing their mortgages all of a sudden find, oops, that they now have much less to spend on other things. And that not spending on other things is bringing, it would bring down the demand and bring back, bring down the prices. And that's, you know, that's basically how it's going to work. The Bank of Canada is going to squeeze and people are going to spend less because they will have less money to spend. That's the good news. Okay, this is this is the good news scenario because hopefully that'll bring down inflation, 
fairly soon, hopefully, because as I said before, they, you know, everything is what credibility, you know, people stop believing the Bank of Canada can do it. If we lose that credibility that was built up then, well, we go back to the days where inflation just gets out of hand. And as I say, the 1970s, the 1980s were ugly. Do you think we're heading into another ugly time, though? Should we brace ourselves? I hope not. As I say, there's a risk. I mean, it's possible. If I'm optimistic, it's because we have been through that before. Tiff Macklem, he went to uh, University of Western Ontario. I went there too around the same time. And that was a time when you know, inflation was important. And anybody who studied there at that time took inflation seriously as a serious problem. So I'm not, you know, I'm not too worried that about his his willingness or, or anything like that. Like I know that he he certainly wants to get inflation down because you know anybody who graduated from University of Western Ontario in economics in the, from the, in the 1980s, <laughs> uh, they have a laser focus on inflation. Okay, well, I hope you're right. But in the meantime, thank you for holding my hand and walking us through this scary financial mess around us. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it's we're trying to thread our way through a minefield. Uh, you know, there's a lots of you know lots of balls are being you know are, are in the air right now, and some of them are being substituted out you know for flaming torches and <laughs> and, and chainsaws. Like, I just hope that we're not the ones who get hurt from those flaming torches. And the- <laughs> All right, on that note, let's adjourn. That's The Backbench. Next week, we'll be back with our panel of friends you know and love. Until then, send us your questions, your concerns, your rants. You can email me, Fatma, at Candleland.com. We're also on Twitter at BackbenchCast. I'm Fatma Sayed, and you can find me on Twitter at Fatma B. Sayed. You can find my work on The Narwhal. This episode was produced by Kevin Sexton and Noor Azriye with additional production by Tristan Capacione. Our managing editor is Kieran Oudshorn. Theme music is by Nathan Burley. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.